Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John O'Leary is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and so happy to have you here joining me in this Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast, you know this by now, we have amazing guests join me to share their life story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, ultimately, their life. Now, you will absolutely hear profound and unforgettably inspiring stories, but more than that, you're going to receive practical ideas to apply in your own life. As you know, my goal is to have guests on this show that will inspire you to choose to wake up from accidental living so that you can do, you can be, you can achieve, and you can impact even more through your life. Or perhaps a little bit more simply said, so that you can live inspired. With the chill of January upon us, I thought it might be a great move for us to turn our thoughts, turn our thinking, turn our ideas, turn our hearts toward the coming spring because it's around the corner, past the snow, the sun still rises. Trust me, hang on for it. And one of my favorite parts of spring, here it comes, it's March Madness. Baby, I love basketball. I love sports. There's just something about March Madness that I find so intoxicating. I think it's awesome. I love how 64 college basketball teams spend a month playing ball as they race toward that Final Four. I love how so frequently Cinderella teams will surprise everyone, maybe even themselves, as they make the shots, play their hearts out, come together as one, and advance against overwhelming odds forward. I love that stories are told of individuals, of heroes, of teams, and that the the real journey, the real heroes are born through the challenges of this play. But perhaps more than anything else, I love that after the final horn sounds, the crowd goes wild, the nets are cut down, a champion is crowned, and then the good part. No, not that they cut to commercial. That's part of the deal. I love when they come back from the commercial. That's my favorite part of March Madness. You see, these teams, these kids, these students, they play their hearts out. And then at the end of it all, they play this song. Come on. You know it. That Luther Vandross song, One Shining Moment. The ball is and there you are. You're running for your life. One shining moment. Somehow during that commercial, they condense a million different plays from a hundred different games through that March Madness into this one video, this one song, this one idea of the ups and downs that have carried us forward to where we are right now. I love that video. I love how they tie it all together. And I love the fact that today on this Live Inspired podcast, that's what we are going to do right now. You see, we've had 12 guests in on season one, 12 inspirational men and women who have shared their life story. So buckle up 
my friends, open up your minds, open up your hearts, grab a pen if you'd like to take notes, because we're going to review the first 12 episodes and then have a very special guest come on near the end to wrap up this year. This guest, by the way, made a profound impact on my life as a child. I can't wait for you to hear his story, hear the interview, hear the inspiration. You're going to love it. So stay tuned through the 12 as we move toward that special episode, that special piece. So here we go. The Live Inspired Podcast Season 1. Luther, take us forward, baby. Here it is, a season in review. The season started where my journey began. To preview the season, we invited my mom, Susan O'Leary, to share her story. And the story mom shared was one of resilience, of faith, of courage, of family, and certainly one of redemption. My mom's story is compelling from an amazing lady and an amazing lady that I experienced as a child watching her raise all six of her O'Leary kids. It's one certainly I experienced throughout the aftermath of my childhood fire and the recovery from, from it. It's one I observed as she handled the great gifts and the weighty tragedies of life during the four decades I've been watching her. And it's one she shared with us as we previewed what you can expect on this podcast. After mom came the official launch of the Live Inspired podcast, not with a traditional studio interview or maybe even a traditional guest, but we started the Live Inspired podcast on the road, overlooking the Pacific Ocean on the deck of a dear friend's house. His name, Brian Buffini. Brian was born in Ireland. He immigrated to the United States and as a young man started the journey forward. That immigrant edge, that work ethic, that gratefulness, and that great humor from the old country remains baked into the DNA of this wonderful man. It was a fantastic interview sweeping various continents, experiences, challenges, mentors, tools, and life experiences. And yet perhaps one of my favorites from that interview came not from Brian, but from Brian's grandfather. You see, Brian's grandfather shared an expression with Brian that goes like this. Can you put your name on it? Can you put your name on it? Brian's grandfather was a painter in the family genetics. They painted, I think, for six generations. And Brian, as a young lad, started in the family business of painting houses. At the end of every job, though, his grandfather would come through, check on the men and women who'd been working, check on Brian's work, and as he walked around looking at the baseboards and the ceilings and the walls and the cleanup job, he'd take a long, deep breath, pause, look back at Brian, and ask this question, can you put your name on it? Can you put your name on it, Brian? It was a question that Brian had to own. Yes or no, and if yes, awesome. If no, fix it. Make it worthy. Make it outstanding, Brian. That work ethic and that movement toward perfection and doing jobs right the first time is what carries Brian forward today in his speaking, in his coaching, in his marriage, in his faith journey, in his life. It's a great question, my friends. I think it has benefited Brian mightily in his work and in his life. And yet at the end of our days, maybe it's one we should be asking ourselves too. Can we put our name on it? Great lesson from the Brian Buffini episode. 
we then shifted gears back into the studio and we interviewed a lady named Terry Grieg for the next episode. Addiction and cancer threatened her life, and yet grace and endurance gave it back to her. Terry opened up her heart and opened up her life as she walked us through periods when she struggled with confidence and then belief, then various addictions, and then a diagnosis of stage four cancer. Then the race and the finish of a lifetime. It was an honest and beautiful episode. It's one of the best I think I've ever heard. And to be sitting across from the lady sharing it in studio, my friends, it was simply remarkable. I'm not sure about you, but I frequently find reasons to make excuses in my life. And yet after hearing this show and listening to Terry's dogged determination, a bit about her army, her training, her Ironman race, her influence today on others who received the diagnosis of cancer. It reminded me what is truly possible when we stop making excuses and we start choosing to be powered by hope. We then enjoyed a string of national and internationally known personalities, from sports announcers to best-selling authors to world-class speakers to one of the most influential voices in all of radio today. It was quite a string of episodes that began with the voice of the World Series, the Super Bowl, and just about every other big sporting event. That voice, of course, is the voice of Joe Buck. Many of you know that Joe is the son of my hero, the legendary Hall of Fame announcer, Jack Buck. Well, Joe recently launched a new book titled Lucky Bastard. And before sitting down with Jimmy Fallon and making appearances on all the big morning shows and all the huge evening spots, Joe first joined us in the Live Inspired studio to talk about things that he's not allowed to say on television. In a wide-ranging emotional interview, Joe talked about his dad, about broadcasting, taking chances, criticism, trusting yourself, his marriage, struggles, and dates that changed everything. He also shared the best gift he ever received. It was a simple painting from his daughter that he received on his 44th birthday. On this painting from his daughter Trudy were the words painted into it, Why is a kid still in college showing up on what people consider the premier local team network in all of baseball? The reason is simple, and it's spelled B-U-C-K. Trudy found those words on an article in her dad's desk drawer. It was one that had been written about Joe more than 20 years earlier. Far from being a compliment, though, the article was intended to be negative to bring Joe down, to make him feel lousy about his space in the broadcaster's booth. And yet here, Joe's daughter, two and a half decades later, finds this article, and she assumed it was a compliment. My friends, it reminds me that perspective, the manner in which we choose to see things, powerfully impacts not only what we see, but also how we feel about it and what we do next in our lives afterwards perspective matters. Joe's review of that painting and time with us certainly reminded us of that truth. Then from Joe, we crossed the Atlantic to be with our next guest from Berlin, Germany. Michaela Haas joined us on the Live Inspired podcast. She is a best-selling author. She's a teacher of meditation and resilience. 
She's a fellow sojourner, and she's a wise sage. Michaela wrote a book that I loved titled Bouncing Forward. With the lens of the media so focused on negativity and fear and trauma, Michaela reminded us of a totally different way of viewing adversity. Michaela offered her own story and then the story of several other amazing individuals as proof that we can bounce forward from adversity. She refers to it as post-traumatic growth. No, not stress, not a disorder, not a problem, not the end of the story, my friends, but post-traumatic growth. In our interview, we talked about Maya Angelou and the woman who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the man who was forced to play jazz music in Auschwitz during the Holocaust while his friends and neighbors were marched to their death. And yet, even now, still in his 90s, this man continues to play and continues to let his music, his song, be heard. It was a deeply inspiring conversation that should remind each one of us that massive adversity is not the end of our best stories. But through mindfulness, a grateful heart, a compelling purpose, a vibrant faith, and a community to lean into, that far from the end of our stories, adversity can forge us into even better versions of ourselves. From Berlin, we journeyed to Nashville, where we spent time with our next two guests. The first was Rory Vaden. I met Rory a few years ago, and he is an expert and a coach on self-discipline. He's written books about it. He's built a business around it. But maybe more amazingly, he's built an entire life inspired by it. This best-selling author and soon-to-be dad grew up totally impoverished. Although he had little financially, he learned techniques as a young man that became the foundation for his speaking, his coaching, his writing, and his life. He coined a phrase, take the stairs, as a reminder to do the important work today that will get you ahead and ultimately to where you want to be tomorrow. Take the stairs. Remember that one. Take the stairs. Every time I see an escalator or elevator today, I'm reminded of Rory Vaden's advice to take the stairs. Rory Vaden has a remarkable life story, a great heart, and a sharp mind. His episode was jam-packed with actionable takeaways and amazing quotes, but perhaps my favorite from our time together was this nugget. Discipline becomes dormant in the absence of a dream, so dream big. I'm going to say that one again. Discipline becomes dormant in the absence of a dream, so dream big. And perhaps none of my guests during the first 12 episodes lived that truth more vibrantly than the next guest. His name? Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, as a kid, asked his dad for a little bit of money to buy a little bit of candy. His father then told Dave, you don't need money. You need a job, a J-O-B job. What began as a young boy's lawn service built around the dream just to have a little money for candy grew into a business with more than $4 million in assets before falling apart to absolutely nothing when all of Dave's debt service was called in. Ramsey went from being on top of the world at age 26 to being absolutely buried by it by the age of 28. And yet he has gone on to lay that berry 
to lay that work, to lay that loss now as the foundation of who he is and what his work is all about. Dave Ramsey is one of the most powerful voices in all of radio, in all of media. He teaches people around the United States and around the world to become financially free. He teaches them through experiences, through biblically sound advice, through simple techniques where they can take back the great power, the great possibility of their life. The very thing that caused Dave to lose his financial fortune in the first place, debt, he teaches people to get out of. He teaches people to be liberated from it. He does it powerfully. He does it passionately. He does it each day for a couple hours on his radio show, The Dave Ramsey Show. He does it in his best-selling books. He's a phenomenal voice, a phenomenal thinker, and I'm lucky to claim him now today as a phenomenal friend. If you don't know Dave Ramsey, if you haven't heard that episode, tune in to it, check it out, kick the wheels, and be inspired to become an even better version of yourself through Dave's advice, through his stories, through his techniques, through his storytelling. Then we were blessed with someone that you may not have heard of before the show, but after it, I'm sure you never forgot her. Kathy Buckley is a comedian. She's an author, a motivational speaker, a huge overcomer, and now a new dear friend of mine. Kathy has been through more challenges and misadventures than most, and yet she exemplifies grace, forgiveness, courage, and perseverance beyond anyone I've ever met. Kathy shared with us the challenges of growing up with an undiagnosed hearing loss, of being inaccurately diagnosed as mentally handicapped by her teachers. She talked about beating cancer and then a litany of other adversities. But amazingly, you'll be blown away when you listen back to her interview by her ability to keep her joy, her humor, her determination, and her passion for people through it all. Yes, Kathy is deaf, and as I said, her passion is people. Her hearing loss, although, allows her to focus on the physical behavior of the people she's with. Because instead of listening to people, she watches them speak. And their body often says something way different than the words they share. We were then fortunate to shift gears and sit with a Pulitzer-nominated author of 25 books, nine of which are national bestsellers. His books are nonfiction, most are biographical in nature, and wow, are the subjects of his stories shining examples of living inspired. From Walter Payton, one of the most prolific running backs in the history of the NFL, who wanted his book to not be about his football career, but instead be about leaving a legacy, more specifically, about being an organ donor to other leaders like, for instance, John Wooden the head coach of the UCLA men's basketball team when they won 10 national championships in just a 12-year period. A man many consider the greatest coach of all time. Don opened up the lessons from these teams, from these individuals, from these coaches, from these men and women, what he learned about them that he's applied in his own writing as an author, as a business owner, as the son of a preacher, as a husband, and as a father of two. In this interview, Don talks about what real success, real victory looks like. Yeah, what happens on the athletic field, but more than that, 
what happens between the ears, what happens within, within our heart, and what can happen outside of the athletic field in the domain of work, in our faith journey, in our relationships, in our, in our life. Don is a phenomenal communicator. If you weren't able to tune in the first time, I encourage you to check it out this time. Don Yeager's interview is beautiful. It's beautiful. And then we dance from Don into one of my dear friends. Her name is Rachel Macy Stafford. She is the hands-free mama. She is driving the hands-free revolution. Rachel Macy Stafford is a New York Times bestselling author, and she is a certified special educator with a master's degree in education. And yet, a few years ago, this lifelong writer felt compelled to share her journey to let go of distractions and to grasp what really matters by creating what became the tremendously popular blog, Hands-Free Mama. It means setting down all those things that distract us from becoming the best versions of ourselves. Rachel's been featured on USA Today, Time.com, MSN.com, PBS.com, among many, many, many others. Millions, millions find hope, challenge, and inspiration through her poetic and powerful short pieces on her blog. She's got a book coming out called Only Love Today, and it brings many of these pieces together in a way that will ignite great possibility in your life. Stafford offers strength and vision for a new and more connected way to lead, love, and live. As outstanding as she is as an author and communicator, she's even better as a person and as a friend. And then lastly, my friends, lastly, the final show of the season. The celebrated speaker and writer Zig Ziglar made a living teaching others to set goals and to stay motivated. One of his favorite and most frequently quoted sayings is that you can have anything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. I'm going to say that again, just on the chance you've not heard it before. Here it comes. You can have anything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Well, someone who saw that man close up and personal, not just as a speaker or as a writer or as a coach or as a mentor, but someone who saw Zig Ziglar from the perspective of a son was our final guest from season one on the Live Inspired podcast. Tom Ziegler is now a best-selling author himself. He's a fellow podcaster. He's also a friend. His work has influenced, listen to this, more than 250 million lives around the world. Tom talked about his dad, about growing up, about the speaking business. He also shared with us something that I totally agree with that most individuals and businesses are sleepwalking through life. We are not fully engaged. We are not fully on fire. We are not completely all in for our life. So Tom walked us through what he calls the zombie cure, which included some ideas on stoking passion, setting clear and inspirational goals, and then stretching forward. He also shared a quote that I know his dad would have loved. Here it is. We become significant by encouraging others to become significant. We become significant by encouraging others to become significant. My friends, I think that's true not only in regards to significance, but we become alive 
when we encourage others to become alive. We become successful when we first encourage those around us to become successful. And we become great, truly great, when we encourage those around us to become truly great. Well, my friends, as we prepare to transition from the first season, whew, 12 amazing guests, 12, I think, remarkable podcasts now into season two of the Live Inspired podcast of the Live Inspired movement. I wanted to end this year by sharing a story I shared live of an individual who encouraged me to become significant, to become alive, to become successful, to become great, to become truly great. It's a fantastic and true story I shared in March for my On Fire book launch party. You are going to absolutely love this story. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you cry. You're going to be ready to stand up and cheer. And then you'll want to live an even more inspired life afterwards through the story of a great man who scored his greatest goals in life, not by what he did, but by who he became. It's the story of Gino Cavallini. It's a story of a commitment that he made to a little boy named John O'Leary in a hospital bed. It's a story of what happened that evening during that hockey game. And it's a story of an unlikely relationship that blossomed, that bloomed, that continued on long after we parted ways. So tune in right now for a live-inspired, live presentation of John O'Leary sharing the story of Gino Cavallini. After I had a series of surgeries, uh, they had to eventually flip me on my, from my back onto my stomach, and I spent three weeks or so on my tummy, tied down to the bed, looking down through a hole in the bed. Three weeks. So I'm bored, it's a little bit depressing, it's kind of miserable. And into this room comes a St. Louis Blue, 26-year-old hockey player named Gino Cavallini. I love hockey. So when he walks in, I'm blown away. I remember the first time he came in, my mom wanted to see if I wanted to meet a guy named Gino Cavatelli. No, not Gino Cavatelli, no, but Gino Cavallini, I'll take some of that. So Gino comes in, he's 26. I don't know what you were doing at 26. I wasn't visiting little burn kids. He gets down on his knees, he looks up and he says, how you doing, superstar? And I say, awesome. He says, tell you what, Superstar, and tonight I'm going to do something cool for you. I'm going to score you a goal. Now, is it easy to score in hockey? No. In particular, apparently, if you play for the St. Louis Blues. Okay? <laughs> One of those deals. So this guy's not going to score. So I'm nine. I know that. I follow hockey. Gino's not going to score. So I say back to him, Gino, do us both a favor, man. Get in a fight instead. And this awesome young man, still staying humble, still looking up through the hole, says to me, tell you what, superstar, tonight, if I don't score you a goal, I promise you, I'll get in a fight. 
true story. So my mom and dad are in the room that night. We're listening to the game. The first period comes. And about nine minutes in, Gino Cavallini keeps the promise. <laughs> Got the promise. Gets it a brawl, man. It was awesome. <laughs> kept the promise. And we kept listening to the game. This is a true story. A third period against the hated Red Wings. Boo. <laughs> Gino Cavallini, who's really not known as a goal scorer back in the mid-80s, keeps the original promise. And scores what turns out to be the game winner. I learned later on that this big, tough Canadian hockey player started crying on the ice. Is he crying because he scored a goal to make a three to two? <laughs> like, he just fired up, we may win this thing. Is that what it is? No. There was something worthy. There was mission, there was meaning in what he was doing. And so he wept, and I think that's a sign of great strength. And then that night they went out and partied. I don't know if you know this about hockey players. They have a tendency to like to celebrate victories <laughs> and defeats. They're not particular. They'll, they'll celebrate either one, and they typically celebrate at bars. That night, Gino Cavallini, 24 of his teammates, and a seven-foot blue bunny that he brought celebrated with a whole bunch of Emo's pizza, a whole bunch of soda, and a nine-year-old little boy on his belly, stretched out on the bed, named John O'Leary, they partied until 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> the last guy out of the room, hold your applause just for a moment, the last guy out of the room is Gino Cavallini. He gets down, he looks up, he's scrubbed up, he's wearing yellow and the mask and the gloves and the booties. He looks up and he says, how you doing now, superstar? What do you think my response was? Awesome. That's not I. That's we. That's Gino. That's his teammates that were supporting him that day. That's we. It's always that. It's, it's the we. It's that piece. I haven't seen Gino in a long time. I haven't heard about Gino in a long time. But recently I sat on a plane with a guy who knew Paul Cavallini. Do you remember the, the name Paul Cavallini? So this guy, while I'm sitting next to him, says, Oh, I bet, I bet Gino would love to hear from me. Let me get his number from Paul. So Paul texts the number back. Do you ever get like that number where you're supposed to call someone, but you're too nervous, so you don't do it? Dude, it's been like 29 years, so I don't, I don't do it. Until later on that evening, my wife is running an errand, I'm getting dinner on, and while the, the, the water is boiling, I send a quick text to Gino Cavallini. And I took a picture of it, just because I know some of you are like, this is such a bunch of bull. <laughs> this dude will do anything to sell books, okay? <laughs> anything. Here's what the text said. Gino, it's John O'Leary, the burned-up nine-year-old kid you visited 30 years ago in a hospital bed in St. Louis. Man, I am doing great today, and I hope you are too. Been traveling around the world, sharing my story over the last few years. You, Gino, are certainly a big part of it. Let's find some time to grab coffee sometimes in the next few weeks. I'll be looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Shoot me some dates. I had no idea where the dude lived. I knew he wasn't in St. Louis anymore. Less than 60 seconds after I hit send, my phone rings. 
you, you ever look down at a phone and you're like, should I get it? <laughs> Send it to voicemail? I pick up, it's Gino, and he says, God, man, what you been up to? <laughs> been almost 30 years. So we talked for a while, and then while we were on the phone, we we're exchanging some messages back and forth. I wanted to show my beautiful four babies and my wife, so I sent that over. He sent me a picture of him recently. <laughs> Gino's kind of a badass, and he's my friend, so don't mess with me, okay? <laughs> I have a strong friend, and he, he, he'll get my back, trust me. <laughs> I learned he shaved his head because he has a heart for other people that are enduring cancer. And so he shaved his head to say, you know what, you're not in this body, you by yourself, I'm going to shave my head too. So that, that's why he's bald in that picture. Apparently, Gino's got a full head of hair. He lives in Chicago. I invited him to be here today, but he was supposed to be in Minneapolis. Which is why it is even cooler that instead of being in Minneapolis, he finds himself today in St. Louis, Missouri at Chaminade Theater. So my friends, give a big hand to one of the celebrities of my story, Gino Cavallini. Come on up here, man. out the branded Kleenexes. <laughs> Gino Cavallini from Chicago, Illinois today, born in Toronto, decides to serve a burnt up nine-year-old child that he had never met. So Gino, uh, in, in front of our friends, the we, tell us about how you even learned of this little boy's story. Is this on? Is on now? I think you're hot, man. <laughs> I'm hot. I guess it was um, uh, Mr. Shanahan, who owned the team at the time, uh, knew that uh, I would try to get out to see kids, not just burn victims, but, you know, I'd, we had a lot of, I had a lot of time on my hand, and I felt like uh, not an obligation, but, you know, coming, coming from an immigrant family, um, knew I was... We're, my brother and I were fortunate to be in the position we were in, and if there was an opportunity that we could help and make a difference in someone's life that we could, and they knew I did this, and they, they just made a call and showed up to see this guy. <laughs> Do you remember the visit when you and I, uh, you got down on your knees, you had like a 36-ounce soda that was illegal back then. So Gino was feeding me soda through a straw into the hole in the bed. Do you remember that visit? I remember, I remember looking, laying on the floor, being down on the floor, looking up at you and just, you know, like everyone else, wishing you on, you know, that you come through what you, you, had, to, you had to do. So for most of us, when we do something generous one time, we kind of high-five ourselves or pat ourselves on the back on the way out. Why'd you come back? 
again and again and again, and not just for little John, but for all the kids that you served? Because I could make a difference, maybe. You know, deep down, maybe a little, little encouragement, you know, um, could go a lot further because of who I was, and I felt, you know, and I'll, you know, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just something that my brother and I always did, and we enjoyed it, and we would, you know, continue doing it. Do you remember scoring the goal? I, I, remember, I remember that night knowing, okay, I got a problem. Because <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily know how much, how much ice time I would get, who I would be playing with, and I knew that I could keep part of the promise and get it over with right away by getting in the fight. <laughs> so once I had the fight, there was a lot less pressure on me once I got in the fight. <laughs> but I had teammates that, you know, knew what was going on, and, you know, they... They were, they were good teammates. We were a team, and, you know, I was the one that was coming in, but they were all there with me. Gino, after he scored, he started crying, but I learned also later on that the four hockey mates, there's five out there at the time, all five guys were crying together. So when Gino says we had good teammates, uh, this was not him twirling his way down the ice by himself. These guys were trying their very best to make sure the promise was kept. Yeah. And that night they partied. Do you remember the celebration? I don't know if it was that. I mean, we, we won, so that it wasn't much different than if we had lost. But we, we certainly had fun. Tell us what you're doing today. Um, I, uh, with a partner of mine, we run a non-for-profit hockey organization in Chicago, and um, we're one of the top clubs in the country, and we help uh, young athletes realize their dreams. We move on kids to college every year out of our club. Chicago mission. What would you say to uh, the helicopter parents who are expecting they have the next Gino Cavallini in the back of their minivan? Uh, you never know. You don't know who that. You don't know who it is. But you know, as long as they love doing what they're doing, we encourage them, and you know, we try to get them in front of who they need to get in front of, and move them on. My final question is, what, what would you say to young athletes out there today, that whether they play with the Blues or they're minor league or they're, they're with the Cardinals, what might be your challenge to these guys when they're not playing in the game? Just to remember, you know, where they came from and, you know, everyone needed some help along the way and to not forget who you are and, you know, give back. So Gino, that night he scored, he came with me to the, the hospital. He brought 24 of his best friends, a seven-foot bunny, and one stick signed by all the guys. He has not seen this stick in 29 years. Now, and, I, am, now, now I realize why I never used to score. <laughs> this is the stick that Gino scored with. Gino is going to be hanging out with us tonight. After, the, after our celebration, do me a huge favor. Run over to him. Give him the biggest St. Louis hug for not what he did on the ice, which was beautiful, but for the role model he is off, off the ice. So, my friends, one more time, give Gino Cavallini a big hand. Well, thanks for joining me today on this Live Inspired podcast. I knew you were going to love that story of Gino Cavallini. I knew you were going to love the fact that we reconnected afterwards. And I knew you were going to love the heart of a man 
whose goals in life was never to make it about himself, but to make it about those around him. And I think when you try to pull a thread through our first 12 episodes and then the addition of Gino Cavallini, that thread is this. These men, these women made their lives living examples of what can happen when you and when we pursue something even bigger than ourselves. It is the story of Gino Cavallini. It is the story of Susan O'Leary and all the other men and women who came through our Live Inspired podcast this year. And my friends, I think it is the story, the fuel that will allow us to move forward and to live our best lives, our best stories going forward. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode and this season as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you, please take a few seconds to rate this show and to review this podcast. It's a quick way that helps us get the word out. Although the story store and the show is still just launching, we're just wrapping up season one. We're already climbing the charts. We're touching lives all around the world. This is a way that we can touch more lives and continue to have an even greater impact going forward. So please take a moment, rate the show, leave your comments, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell people that you worship with and work with and live with about the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Let's create a movement of individuals who are living inspired. My friends, if you want to learn more about this show, awesome. I hope you do. Consider checking out a little bit more information on my website. The website is available at johnolearyinspires.com. johnolearyinspires.com. Well, for this time to wrap up this season and until next time and next season, this is John O'Leary and this is your day. Live Inspired.